0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the Much Love Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Rubin, and I'm here today with my very good friend, Cole Connor.
1: What's up? I'm Cole. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, man. You're here.
0: And I'm happy, if you haven't noticed, to be in a different studio that is not the one you're used to. So I'm happy you're having me as a guest in your studio to be a guest on my podcast
1: is a beautiful thing and we just did a
0: podcast i don't know what
1: will come out first but we have two podcasts most
0: so, likely kohl's because yeah i've got two in the can before this one <laughs> okay. and i've been very slow to edit yes that's so it. it's- check out the no niche podcast if you haven't already do it do it so i want to just it. jump right into something very current your most recent project yes. is asian chicken salad you and bernice ye
1: bernice she says she has a she says something about you say yes like Kanye. Bernice Ye. Bernice Ye, yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay, yeah. Okay, it's okay. Bernice Ye. Hey. Yeah, hey, yeah, check it out. Yeah. Asian chick- chicken salad. Yes. What was the backstory?
1: How'd you get involved? Okay, so uh this has been a journey. I met Bernice in acting class. And as soon as I met her, she had this like super bub- bubbly positive attitude. So I was drawn to that. And her husband Happened to be from Charleston, South Carolina. I'm from Sumter, South Carolina. We had that connection and we just hung out all of us a couple times and we started talking about goals for the new year and they're very like goal oriented people. And she was like, I wanna make I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I thought he was chewing was he chewing on? He's chewing like a bone or something. Or is it
0: for those who can't oh it's the ice cube. It's the ice cube. There's okay, an ice cool. cube. Okay. Cool. Cole's got a dog and he's got a, a lot of energy yes. and he's uh Doing his thing. Right now, he's devouring an ice cube. Yes, yes. But continue. Yes, Goals.
1: Yeah, goals. And she was saying that one of her goals was to get into music. I told her that I was a rapper. And uh, um, pretty much she sent me a bit. So something that she had performed that had done really well went viral on YouTube. She has a really big – not YouTube. On TikTok and Instagram, she has a very big following. And uh, she sent me the bit. I found a beat. I wrote a song from the bit, which was kind of a fun process in general. Um, so I pretty much made it rhyme, told a similar story, but created a character for myself. She came here we recorded a rough. Then we, you know, you know, did the whole song. She raised $5,000 for a music video, which was huge. We had a, a really amazing crew and it's just, she worked really so hard to make it happen. The Music videos done really well. We had a release party and the song is pretty much about, uh, <laughs> um, how would I, how would you explain it? What is it from your perspective? Actually, to me, like, there it's
0: it's there's a surface level of what the song's about, yes. and then there's a deep level. There we go. The surface level is uh, an Asian lady gets run into by some white people who are like, "Hey, bring okay. a dish to a dinner. Why don't you make an Asian chicken salad?" Yes, exactly. and it's her going down this rabbit hole of like, how, "What what's an Asian chicken? I'm Asian. I don't know what this Asian chicken yeah, salad is." Yeah, yeah. And it's her going through this journey of making the salad. Uh-huh. But to me, what I thought was below the surface was it was a really fun social commentary yes. of like things that we can project onto other cultures and other people that if we don't really know them well or mm-hmm. have intimate dynamics or relations mm-hmm. that everyone could be a part of. And yeah. it felt very much like how certain Chappelle show skits used to feel where yeah. everyone was part of the joke. Yeah. There, were, there were a lot of different people in on the joke and yes. it just seemed fun.
1: It was very fun, and that is, that's is—that's exactly right. You said it even better than I could have said it, so thank you for doing that. But, yeah, it's so cool to be able to work on something that was fun and was funny, but it did have that deeper social commentary and just all these different races coming together just to have fun. It makes me it really fun. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And a large part of the crew was also Asian, which was really cool. Um, so, yeah, I was just happy to be a part of it. Yeah. So if you're watching this
0: on YouTube, don't feel ashamed. You can pause right now. Pause. Go to the description and hit the Asian Chicken Salad music video. Watch it so you understand the context of what we're talking about. And I think you'll enjoy it. Um, And if you're on Spotify, if I ever get to putting all my episodes on Spotify (laughs) and Apple Podcasts and all that stuff, um, when it's safe, you know, if you're not driving, go check out the music video. Stay safe. But back to you, Cole. You've had a really fucking interesting career. Yes. And I use, I don't, I don't swear a lot on the show, but I say it for, for a reason because I want yeah. to emphasize how interesting it's been. Thank you. Um, talk to people briefly about what are some of the pit stops you've had mm-hmm. and what have you loved about the process?
1: Yeah, man. Um, a lot of pit stops. That's what I'm saying. There's been a lot of pit stops. Um, I feel like, But that's also part of what I love about the journey kind of of being an artist. Um, You know, being a rapper, I started at 17. That was like a really big thing to do from where I come from, and it wasn't really accepted. And trying to be that for a long time, but discovering other pieces of myself, whether it's uh, songwriting and the comedy stuff or acting, I've been doing that a lot more. Um, And then making YouTube videos. I make all types of stuff and skits. You discover more, but... I think what I love the most is that I make all these pit stops and then I and I keep going. I think a lot of times uh, people like stop. I feel like so pit stops for a second. Are we talking like uh, like failures? Or are we talking like going off in different directions? No,
0: I think just I pulling continue? pulling over on the journey and either staying in one place for a while or going in a different direction and then coming back. And, yeah, okay. and I'll kind of hook it to my journey in a second, but yeah. when I, I use the word pit stop kind of casually, but maybe um, you've you've traveled many roads. Yes. And what some okay. of those roads have been.
1: Okay, cool. Um, there's, yeah, there's been a lot of roads. So quick, you know, what I've, what I've done is I was a rapper, then I was just doing regular side hustle jobs. I started doing real estate photography and that became uh, how I make my money. Uh, As you know, we both kind of did the marketing agency thing for a while. I did that to make some money. Um, But I always was rapping, and the business started to really take control, and that is definitely a pit stop where I felt as a creative. And that was really important to me was to make money uh, doing something that's still kind of creative, real estate photography, and then put that money back into my creative stuff and be able to make higher quality music and higher quality videos and I feel like that was the journey for a long time – a long time as in you know three, four years until I decided to move out here. And this has just been – it's just even more discovery, man. You just learn – I'm learning so much more about myself. And I'm learning that I'm much more – I used to think I was only a rapper. Like that's all I was. And then I was like well, maybe I'm just like a rapper businessman. And now I'm – I just feel like I'm an artist. I just – I like all types of art. And I love – acting has become – I'm very passionate about it because it's – it's similar to all the other stuff, but it's like a different side of me. I don't get to explore with, with music or with business. Did I answer your question? <laughs> you
0: did, and you answered it very well. Okay. I almost feel like I led you there you know, telekinetically. You probably did. Yeah. Because what you're describing, I often find, is the artist's journey. Yes. And there's actually a really good book called The Artist's Way, okay. which has helped me quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but what I like about the artist's journey is learning to live artfully, mm. where... We don't have to. <laughs> pardon this pun, but you're literally wearing a hat. We don't yeah, have to yeah. wear these hats of like, I am Nate Rubin, businessman. Yeah. You are Cole Connor, yeah. rapper. Um, we are marketers. You know, yes. all of those are just things we do. That's they're true. they're ways we show up in the world, but they don't define us. And I think the common thread between how both of us try to be in the world mm-hmm. is living very artfully. Yeah, so it's it's kind of been beautiful to be a witness to your journey Thank you. and see all the different ways you've gone in all of it rooted coming from a place of art. Mm-hmm. You talked about most recent acting. Yeah.
1: How's that process going? Talk to me about it. Yeah. Um, so this has been uh, acting is it's difficult, man. It's um first off you you move here to a city where it's all about acting, which is one of the main reasons why I moved here and you have to survive first. It goes back to like the survival part. So you really can't do anything until you, you know, get your feet settled and you figure out, you know, your your money situation. So that's like a mental thing that you have to get past. But then there's so many roadblocks and so many uh what's gatekeepers. And people don't tell you how the industry works really. There are some people on YouTube which I kind of try to be the same type of person like once I learn something like let me tell you because it's actually really difficult to learn. Uh, so it's – I would say I've been here about two years and uh, just for the past probably more like nine months, I feel like I'm learning the game of acting because it is pretty much a game. And it's uh, it's overwhelming. It's – and I'm not even talking about the acting. I'm talking about the
0: – Everything that goes into being able to do the acting. Yes,
1: exactly. And it's um, – it's, it's, I'm used to failing a lot. But acting is just a whole other level. Like you could be a a good-looking, fit, amazing actor. It just – it doesn't matter. You're going to fail a million, million times because they're looking for a specific thing. But you put your heart and soul into these auditions. Sometimes you get no auditions for months. Sometimes you get five in a week and then you have to figure out how to put your heart and soul into the auditions. You have to edit self-tapes, which I already know how to do, which is totally great. But some people, you have to learn how to do that. Um, and then sometimes you have to go in person and fail, which is hard too. You have to look someone in the eye, do your scene, and then they say, "Okay, thanks," and then you never hear from them again. And then you have to try to you know, get management, or you won't get real roles. I mean, there's there's a whole lot of things you could go down. But I digress. In general, the most rewarding thing has been not not quitting and doing the classes. Because what the classes do is connect you to community. And so I've been able to build, like Bernice, uh, like my friend Pat, who we started doing skits together, um, you build real connections with these people that can't really be explained. I feel like you might understand from uh, maybe like a yoga type retreat or something, but uh, specifically my last class, it was in person, it was Meisner and um, Elizabeth Mesnick was the, was the teacher and, Man, it was you learn so much about each person, like they're in their soul, because you have to bear your soul to be an actor and you you have to be like authentic but just kind of living in an imaginary circumstance. And to see all these people grow from like day to day, week to week, and bear themselves and then be vulnerable, your classmates. It it just like this special connection that you can't really explain. Yeah. That's
0: interesting. Because I think from an outsider's perspective, it would be easy to assume being a really good actor would have nothing to do with soul, um, because yeah, some people yeah. it's like you're playing pretend. Yeah, yeah, and so having nothing to anchor to you, but being able to anchor to somewhere else, mm-hmm. I think maybe that's just super empathetic or the ability to to really picture. But I don't know shit about acting. Yeah, I've yeah. been I've been an extra in a film, a... Um, which I'd like to do more of, yeah, or even sure. have like small speaking parts where I'm like the the guy who. Moves the drink and says the yeah, funny thing and good. then I'm gone. Yeah, but it's because I don't. I don't actually want to do the work of like becoming a serious actor. I yeah, just want to be part of making a movie because it's yeah, fun.
1: It's very fun. Yeah, I totally get that. And I think people would assume that, and I probably have assumed that in my life that acting pretty much is that it's easy that anyone can do it. But at the basic level, you have to be able to be vulnerable, which is really difficult for I think a lot of people. But then even further than that, you have to uh, pretty much connect. Uh, this is actually kind of in the acting world. I think it's uh, controversial, but connect with pain that you've had before, or, or happiness, or excitement, and yeah, it just it takes a certain level of like emotional intelligence and and vulnerability. That I think most people aren't willing to like really get there. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm a big fan of Shia LaBeouf. Oh yeah, and okay. if you watch the, I think Honey Boy was the mm-hmm. biopic loosely around his life, mm-hmm. and he plays his dad. Yeah, I, which that's so cool. I think is so cool on so many levels. Yeah. So when you talk about that pain, he's one of those method guys that. Yeah. I mean, I go watch the movie if you haven't seen it, yeah. but it was just I such an I experience. Really see it. Oh, yeah. dude, it's we. I watched that a couple years ago. That one really got me. Mm-hmm. I just watched Peanut Butter Falcon.
1: I still haven't seen that either. Yeah, I know Such it's a really, good yeah. movie.
0: Yeah. I I love movies. Yeah, so me there's too. they're like a big way of how I, I chill, I unwind. Mm-hmm. I was just talking with somebody who recently said movies are a way I get myself to cry when I know I need one, but I can't connect to what's going on inside. Wow. And I went, Holy shit, I've never thought about it that way.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting.
0: But I, I tear up all I teared up at the end of Old Dads. So yeah. I'm like that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not I'm even like, like that deep of a movie.
1: Scary. Yeah. That's funny that you said that cuz I actually feel like I avoid movies that make me cry but I'm not I cry I think often in life in general so it's kind of like the opposite which is interesting but if I don't feel like getting there I'm like yeah
0: I've become that way with not wanting too too painful of movies to watch there you go because yeah. it's it's hard like a yeah. lot of things come up like I, I care very much about all kinds of people, but yeah. since a young child, I've always cared about like civil rights struggle movies and things about specifically the black experience in America. Mm-hmm. But I got to a stage where when certain movies were coming out, I just couldn't do it anymore because mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't want to a like fetishize that pain mm-hmm. or b I didn't I didn't want to go like could I really want to see Fruitvale Station yeah. um, because I've that's, told it's that's a phenomenal a good one. film yeah, that's a good one. I just yeah. don't want to see a movie where a cop shoots a guy in his yeah. back it's and like it's a hard watch yeah yeah, yeah. but Tiaja and I just recently watched Black Klansman. it was my second time watching it mm-hmm. uh,
1: Spike Lee directs it
0: okay okay and I haven't seen that one. it's a hard watch yeah but he it just shows how great of a filmmaker Spike is uh, because it's so beautifully done yeah. and for me being Jewish my wife being black the subject matter having to do with the KKK yeah. and them specifically targeting blacks and Jews yeah. and there's you know, there's a black cop and a Jewish cop working together. It's just so much went on for me while yeah. watching that. I really, I can't let myself get into that
1: place too often because I feel like I wallow in emotionalism. Yes. I think that's the same reason why for me. Yeah. I don't want to, Or I guess a simpler way to put it is I just don't want to feel that deeply sad. <laughs> yeah. It's like, ugh. yeah.
0: I totally get it. Something you and I talked about earlier today that mm-hmm. I think can make people deeply sad mm-hmm. is what it's like to be in a interracial relationship when yeah. maybe family doesn't get it or yeah. even worse was rooting against that. Yeah, um, definitely. Talk to me a little bit about what your experience has been
1: in that space and, and kind of how you felt with that. Yeah. So I do have to, I, have to, I tread carefully, but I want to talk about why I tread carefully. And... For me personally, I've been with two Asian women and this is kind of what I was telling you is I haven't experienced too much of it on the Asian – or like my parents – not my parents. My family being racist towards Asians, just little jokes here and there like – I guess the joke – it doesn't really matter, the jokes. but So I've experienced a little bit and a little bit of weird comments and I was kind of telling you that I I don't – I don't get it, but we were talking a little bit about how people grow up differently, and you know it is what it is. But the reason I'm treading carefully is because my family has had a uh, pretty much my my sister marrying a black man, and they just had a baby, and she's so beautiful and precious. And my family just had had has had a long tumultuous tumultuous is that the right way to yeah, say it? Yeah, tumultuous. tumultuous. Journey with with that, and we're on the other side. And I, I might, you know, it might come, it might come up again. I don't know, but so I don't want to say too much to where it could restir stir any feelings or whatever. But I just know that is really beautiful to see people uh, struggle with that, like family members not be okay with it, but then to actually meet people and to actually see someone for who they really are, get over that, and. Um, fight through their own demons because it's not really about you know whether a person's black white Asian, whatever um it's just something that they have going on in their head
0: well and usually you and i were talking about but it stems from some sort of upbringing yes
1: no one is born
0: racist correct but i'm a firm believer it's a disease that is often genetically passed down Mm -hmm. and is a form of trauma and abuse to traumatize or abuse your children into seeing other people in this not just different way, but some superior way or Mm -hmm. some we're not meant to be together, we're not meant to mix. Because differences are meant to be celebrated. Yeah, Like my wife's black, I'm Jewish, Yeah, we're different and it's intentional. I didn't want to be with somebody who is the same as me. I wanted somebody to offer a new experience. I wanted us to grow and expand.
1: I find myself, and yeah, I don't know if it's purposeful or not, but I do, Um, if we take it as simple as a swiping on a dating app or even just people I see, I am not as attractive to white women, especially here. And I hate to say that publicly (laughs) because I'm like, maybe I shouldn't. And it's not that they aren't attractive, but I just do find myself if there's a hundred women, I'm just, they're not going to be the ones usually that I pick.
0: And that's okay to have a preference. Yeah. Here at the much love podcast, (laughs) we encourage everyone to be their authentic selves and, There is nothing wrong with having preference. Yes. So it's totally okay. But I do like white women too. (laughs) Let's
1: be clear. I do like white women too. I'm just saying they're not usually the ones that I pick.
0: Well, I tend to gravitate towards a lot of entertainers who are white or Jewish who find themselves attracted to and in relationships with black women Uh because Uh it's very relatable. Like, Uh Tasia and I have seen Gary Owen, not Gary Owens, although a lot of people call him Gary Owens. You know, Uh Gary, if you're watching, I know there's no S. Uh Yeah. We've seen that. him three times. Well, he laughs. He's like black people always add an S to my name, Okay. and uh, black people add S to a lot of people's names, <laughs> okay. and but it was just funny. Yeah, yeah, and that's cultural and it's different. Yeah. yeah. Um. But the the funny thing was, Tiaja and I almost like stalk where his relationship drama is going to be and be like, oh, what's this set going to be like? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'd say it even goes so deep as when I was watching Old Dads, I saw Bill Burr married to a white woman with white kids, mm-hmm. and I was like, his wife's black. Uh, And now obviously it's fucking acting like you're going to do all kinds of things Mm -hmm. like uh, in uh, Brokeback Mountain. Those guys weren't gay. Yeah, it would have been cool if they were like, you don't (laughs) have to hire. Like, I think sometimes people get so interested in like you have to be representative of the role you're playing. But it it was weird. Like, I almost felt this betrayal. I'm like, why why couldn't Bill be married to a black woman in the movie? Interesting. Um, Yeah. But anyways, I digress. There's we all have preference. Yeah, we yeah. we're gravitated to, there's things we're attracted to. A lot of times this comes up with just looks in general. Yeah. I've always thought about looks as the cover letter and mm. like, is your resume going to get read or not? Yeah. As very, very superficial. Yeah.
1: But, um,
0: but why are you going to read a resume if you're not impressed with the cover letter? Yeah, that's true. Um, you go know, oh, cause maybe they're, you know, maybe they just can't write a cover letter. You know, but anyways, yeah, yeah, those yeah, are yeah. excuses. Wait, can
1: I go down something real quick? Please. Okay. So, um, uh, I am on these these dating apps. I probably shouldn't be, but I'm on the dating apps, and I see a lot of women, and they say they are sapiosexual. Do you, do you know what that is?
0: No. This is new to me. I, I did <laughs> that... just have a podcast episode with a woman who's pansexual. Okay. I don't know what's sapiosexual. Enlighten me, please. Okay. I didn't look up
1: pansexual. I probably should have, because I saw that one, too. Oh, no. I'm sorry.
0: Right. I fucked up. She's not pansexual. She's in a polyamorous relationship. Okay. So, I did see that. One. Yeah. <laughs> not pansexual. <laughs> I don't want to throw that out there. Yeah.
1: So this is my brief understanding. I Googled it like a week and a half ago, but it was sapiosexuals pretty much correct me If I'm wrong, but it's um, being turned on like when you have a mental, like pretty much I, I I'm turned on by the fact that you're smart or I'm turned on by the fact that we have a great fun chemistry back and forth. And I've realized that more and more is that yes, the look is the cover letter. So there has to be like a bar. Like I have to be attracted to you at a certain whatever. But outside of that, I don't give a fuck if you're like a, a ten out of ten, if you're not that, that sapiosexual that like mentally turning me on, it's it's done.
0: I, I think that's hilarious that this generation decided we needed a term <laughs> for having a depth of thought. Yeah. Yeah. Like can you be like I'm attracted to someone I could hold a conversation with and somebody oh, who stimulates mean. me intellectually. <laughs> oh yeah, I identify as sapiosexual, <laughs> like great. That's what it was it was news to me. Yeah, I had it, no idea. I think it's just somebody trying to feel special for caring about what the person they talk to thinks. That's probably like, right, yeah. You know, I I <laughs> yeah. I was at, I remember very explicitly the right. moment when I was dating my wife going, am I just interested in her for what our physical relationship could be? Mm-hmm. Or do I actually care These about what she's saying? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be respectful. <laughs> or am I considering how she feels? Mm-hmm. Do her thoughts matter to me other than what am I just going to respond with? Mm-hmm. Um, am I trying to get to some outcome? Mm-hmm. Or do we just want to pass the time together? Is there? And I could be with a woman who doesn't have that for me? So I guess I guess I identify as Sapio sexual, too, but
1: <laughs> yeah, respect <laughs> Yeah,
0: we're, we're Sapio Bros, yeah, Sapio Bros. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I want to go off in a, another direction. That's really this this idea around an artist who's evolving. You've tried a bunch of different things, yeah. but inside. You mentioned needing to bear the soul we talked about it might be on your podcast it might be nice to take some time to reflect and to introspect yeah. what is it that you do to keep yourself on track with making sure that you're growing as a person with checking in on who is cold today you know how have i grown over the last year three years ten years do, do you have a process for that or is it just kind of like this organic thing you do
1: you know I think I've been a little bit jealous of your – I feel like you have a process for that, which is really like your meditation that you do. And I feel like I've seen you do that over the years. I've wanted that. But to be honest, I I don't, man. I just I, – I think a lot. And I'm sure a lot of people think a lot. But I'm like really diving into my soul like every fucking day. I'm thinking – probably unhealthy, really. <laughs> so I'm, just, I'm I'm thinking, like, why do I feel this way? What is this feeling? And I'm not afraid to go down any rabbit hole. Um, why am I lazy today? Do I deserve to be lazy today? Um, am I not wanting to do photography because I'm bored with it? Do I want to – do I really love acting or is it just exciting right now? Do I love the woman I'm with or am I just in it for whatever? Every day is just like a constant – uh, studying of myself. Um, and it, I also stay very busy, um, which is, I think it's kind of what I was insinuating before with, um, I, I want to take time to not be busy so I can think even more. And I think my busyness does influence my thoughts sometimes, obviously. Um, but yeah, so I guess I just don't have a process for it and, but I'm, but I'm always doing it to a pretty pretty big extent. And I'm also making like these YouTube videos and I'm writing this music and I'm writing short films and I'm putting what I'm learning about myself in those things, especially with the YouTube, as I discover, like I haven't really announced that I'm single, like officially, but i have a video. I'm going to be like, it's really for me, but hopefully it helps people. But I'm like breaking down why I think I'm single and having like my own therapy session and talking about it and being 30 and breaking up these long relationships, what that what does that mean? Like, is there some trauma I'm not dealing with? I'm not afraid to go there. And I, I do think a lot of people are afraid to go that route. But yeah, so I'm always doing it, I guess. that That, that is my art. I'm just like studying myself. It kind of sounds selfish, I guess, but that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. it, well,
0: to be a great artist often is very selfish. Yeah, that's true. And <laughs> there's I nothing mean, yeah, wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> as long as you're honest. And yeah. whoever's along for the ride knows that going in. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you said that really struck me Was just this as long as I'm willing to go down the rabbit hole and be honest with myself and see where is this coming from? Why is it happening? Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a really fine line between overindulging in emotional neediness Mm -hmm. of like, I have to nurture every single emotion that comes up. Mm versus the puritanical, just do the work no matter how you feel. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, doing the work no matter how you feel might get you great results, but those results might not be in line with you spiritually Mm -hmm. and it might keep you further from the way you want to be in the world. So I think that you're at least being critical about how how do I make sure that I'm on the right path and how do I respect what is
1: real for me today? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I have had times where I have gone a little bit too far that direction where I used to – I think it's my my mom and I – I talk to my mom every day. I'm one of those people and we were – in my early 20s, I definitely talked to her too much I think where it was overwhelming. And one of the things she said to me was – I think she said this. I don't know who said it, but I hop on every – like my mind is a bus stop. And I hop on every bus and I go every route on every bus as far as it goes, and that was kind of unhealthy, so balancing that like neediness of that so sort of like oh my god, I have to have to do have, have to have to have to and um I don't it's just the balance i guess it's like you don't have to go so so far like at a certain point it's too much, yeah um but
0: yeah what you're also talking about meditators will describe as learning how to disengage with thoughts because thoughts are not this end-all be-all like our thinking mind isn't the greatest version of ourself Mm -hmm. so just because a thought comes we don't have to observe that thought any more than just seeing it identifying it and letting it be yeah Uh, a really good metaphor that helped me early on was thinking of our thoughts like boats passing on the water
1: Mm. like we don't have to board every boat you could just be like oh that's a boat yeah, Give it's the same concept. Life. Yeah, exactly. Was it you that told me that? <laughs> I don't know, man. The buses? I don't know. But yeah, that's exactly right. And I think this kind of gets into a little bit of like anxiety because I've struggled with that a little bit. But one of the things I've learned, this is more with social anxiety, so it's kind of a different topic. But I used to have so much social anxiety about events and things, uh, which I'm comparing to like a thought bus or a thought boat uh, y'all let myself be like, but this could happen, but this could happen, but this could happen, this could happen, but I think when I just decided to turn that thought off, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. Things could change. I might not even go to this thing or this person might not this person. I do that with almost everything now that gives me anxiety. So like doing a podcast, this gives me a little bit of anxiety typically, but I don't think about it until right before. And then I'm like, gonna let it be and almost every single time no matter what it is it turns out good versus being like i'm gonna take notes i'm gonna make sure we talk about this and do this and do this that really helps me and so i know which thought buses to not hop on now that takes time you gotta learn that
0: i like that i also i thought about when you mentioned you talked to your mom every day yeah i used to talk to my parents a lot mm-hmm. and on your podcast we talked about friends and phone yeah. calls yeah, yeah and one of the things that changed was being married and I found that when I was getting more serious in my relationship was when my parents' marriage was ending. And so in a lot of ways, I stopped going to them over certain topics because quite frankly, neither one of them had what I wanted. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was That's a
1: good realization.
0: It was a tough thing to be like, no, I'm not going to talk about this with you because I've learned from you by watching how you've lived and what you've done and you've shared so much. Mm-hmm. But right now I don't really want what you have yeah. in that one area. Yeah. So, that i would talk to certain other friends Mm -hmm. Um, but then now being married like i talk to my wife about everything yeah so the amount of people who kind of get that extra peripheral just might depend on who happens to get what on that day yeah how have you managed to stay so close with your mom in that way where you talk every day Mm -hmm. and what is it that that
1: closeness brings for you makes me smile because i'm like I've already sent this to you, mom, and I appreciate you for watching, and I, I hope I answered this right. So, so, okay, I think that my mom now knows that, first off, I don't do what she says, <laughs> which is a big thing, um, and I don't feel like I have to do what she says, which I think is really important for like a parent-child relationship, and as you both... Grow and I you know I'm a 30 year old man, so I do whatever I want to do. But some things, particularly, I come to my mom and I'm like, I would like your advice as a 56 year old woman on this topic. And majority of the time, I listen, and half the time, it's like, I get it, but no, I'm not going to do that. And half the time, I'm like, you know, actually, that affected me. That's one thing that I think has helped is we both understand that about each other and we don't have to get upset or whatever. Um, we have had to set some, like, boundaries where there's certain things, you know, I just don't talk about and she doesn't talk about. Um, so that's important, I think, boundaries and respecting each other where we're at emotionally. So she might have had a really hard week emotionally, so I'm not going to go and just lay out everything on the table with her. Um, and I can feel her. We know – I mean, you're just like your mom, son, you feel each other, and it, when you talk literally every day for – a decade at this point um, and then of course you have conversations before them but at 20 I, we started talking pretty much every day so I know like today I think we talked for three minutes I felt like she was busy I feel like I've been saying the same thing for like six days in a row so I was like I love you hope you have a great day and then tomorrow we might start talking about something in the news and we talk for an hour you, you never know um, I feel like there's one other point I wanted to make but I think the yeah the other main point as a child talking to your parent, I think people you know you don't realize that your parent is an actual person for a while, so that's a big thing um so you just have to respect that they're they're human too and I think I treat her uh i want to say more like a, a friend most of the time uh so that way it's it's like you like I respect your you and your boundaries and if you're bored talking then we don't talk. That type
0: of thing, yeah. I get that, I like that. I think that when I was a kid, I had to learn how to trust my parents to talk about certain things because I was the kind of kid to keep it all inside. Yeah. And there was so much I kept inside that I didn't even realize I was keeping inside. Mm -hmm. And when I was in my late teens, my dad and I were very adversarial. Mm -hmm. I was so rebellious, I was so angry, I felt Mm -hmm. so constrained. That when I got sober at like 20, Uh a lot of my work in forgiving him was seeing him as just another man, seeing him as God's child also, and that we could, yeah, Yeah. we could spiritually be brothers. He's still my father. I still give him all the respect a father deserves, but spiritually, he's my brother. That really healed our relationship, Mm -hmm. whereas I never really needed that healing with my mom Mm -hmm. until she got divorced from my dad. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden I felt like she did something to me. and like, you broke my family. Mm-hmm. You tore mm-hmm. us apart.
1: Mm-hmm. I and mean, right.
0: the reality was like it takes two hands to clap. Yeah. Like they had a relationship together mm-hmm. and it was time for it to dissolve and to become something else. Mm-hmm. And I've learned to forgive that. But that that process with my mom happened at a much later stage mm-hmm. where now I just go, oh, that's that's Michelle. She's my spiritual sister, mm-hmm. and I'm going to come along for the journey. And occasionally I might cross the line in telling her, like, hey, I, I just need you to hear this. Mm-hmm. But usually I just give her her space to do what she needs to do, yeah. and it's brought me so much peace. And I think it's brought us closer and in a mature adult way that I'm really grateful for. That's that's fantastic.
1: And that also brings up the divorce things. My parents um, – it's just kind of the opposite. So my parents got divorced when I was like six – And it was a very nasty, traumatic divorce, but because it was almost like my mom was being kept from me in a lot of ways, that made me want to be closer to my mom more and more. Mm. And I think that's kind of, I think that being the foundation of our relationship, really, it just, I don't know, there's something like extra special of like every moment now is really, really important, uh, which... Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's pretty cool, but I also think it's it's really cool that you're able to have – you're able to learn because not everyone is able to learn how to deal with their parents like that. And I've seen that over the years as people react, respond and react so differently to their parents. And a lot of people even our age are – it's kind of like rude to your Like you – they're like kids still, and it's like – What? I don't know. It's confusing.
0: I think there's a a layer in the nuance to the relationship. And my my therapist helped me with this where Mm -hmm. he said, what a baby needs is very different than what a young child needs Mm -hmm. or a maturing child or a teenager or an adult child. Mm -hmm. And just as hard as it is for that person to identify their needs changing, it's even harder for a parent to understand those needs are changing. Mm -hmm. And so the more compassion and empathy I've been able to have for my parents that... They've never had a son who's 30-year-old until yeah, now. Yeah. So they're trying to figure out how do you show up for that. Yeah, um, that's true. And it, I think being able to see that part of them has been super
1: helpful. Yeah, I want to bounce off that. My dad told me when we were having a really tough time, and uh, this was like a year ago, he was being very vulnerable and he was really confused about how our relationship with me and my sister was kind of falling apart. And he said that he had to take a step back and realize that um like me and my sister aren't the same person kind of like he he like packaged us together like I don't know how to explain it like he just it's like if, if I'm good with Cole I'm good with Bailey and it's just this these are my kids and he had to start seeing us as individual adults and for him to say that to me because I had to see him like that but for him to say that to me that was pretty like well yeah I'm fucking 30 of course And then thinking back how he had me when he was 23, and I'm 30, that's just a crazy concept. So it also makes me forgive him for things, and same with my mom. She was just a young kid when all these crazy decisions were made and there was all this trauma for me. But looking back now, I'm like, yeah, time moves really quick, so. Wow,
0: well that's a beautiful perspective. Um, I know we've done a lot on your podcast. Yeah, I've done a lot on mine. Yeah. We had a great conversation before we even started filming. Yes, we did. Um I always like to ask my questions at the end of our podcast. Mm-hmm. If you could meet anyone, who would it be
1: and why? Meet anyone. God, that sounds so shitty. But I don't have I'm going to answer you, but I I don't like look up to people any anymore. Maybe I used to as like a kid, but I think as you kind of like what we're talking about, it's like you realize everyone's just a human. Everyone makes all these mistakes. So I don't think about people like that. I don't ever think about this. Uh, So if I had to pick someone, um, the first person that comes to mind was Rick Rubin. I think he would be a fabulous, uh, ironically, (laughs) Um, just because he's so smart uh, and so knowledgeable as an artist. And every time I hear him speak, he just sounds so like Zen, and um, something that being—I don't know how old he is, maybe sixty or fifty something—but he's been in this game for so long that that is something to look up to. Someone who is an artist, who is at peace, who's been high. I'm sure he's been really low. I don't even know his story, but um, he is someone that I would I would love to love to meet. That's yeah.
0: beautiful. Yeah. I think that um, I'll kind of finish with this because yeah. I think you said something interesting. As you've come to see people as people you stop really you know putting them on pedestals or or like wanting to look up to somebody Mm -hmm. i have this interesting way of there's some people who come into my life through you know the periphery where i go yeah i'm down with that person and i'll stick with them through whatever whether or not I've learned all the details about them. I don't become like a fanatic of theirs. I can't list uh, an almanac of facts. Mm -hmm. Like Rick Rubin is one of those guys where when I heard him tell a story about what inspired him to grow his beard, Mm -hmm. it was really, he just decided to let go of shaving. And it wasn't about him trying to create something. It was just, I'm letting go of something. And it, it clicked for me. And I was like, one day when I'm ready to let go of shaving, like, and I've let that, I've that, let go of shading. that was from Rick Rubin. Yeah, I mean now I I trim the beard a little bit to kind of keep it tidy. Yeah, yeah. And I've trimmed the mustache because it's getting in the way of trumpet playing. It looks good, by the way. Thank yeah. you, <laughs> <I> appreciate <laughs> it. But that's awesome. Yeah. The reason I ask is because I hope we could put into the ether that maybe one day somehow you meet Rick Rubin. That would be amazing. And I would yeah. like to be there.
1: Yeah, I will. I will invite you if that happens. Not in the first meeting, but yeah, the second.
0: You got to. Sure. You got to. You know, ease into the. Yeah. You can't bring too many Rubens into the room at once.
1: Exactly. I'll tell the beard story. They'll yeah, probably.
0: They'll probably like that. It'll. Yeah. It'll do well. Yeah. Um. So this has been wonderful. Yes. If right. you haven't already. In the description, there's going to be the Asian chicken salad link. There's going to be a link probably to Cole's YouTube True. channel
1: in general. Cole Connor with an O R. I'm not the gay porn star though. I am the other. <laughs> He's
0: the other yeah, Cole yeah, Connor. Yeah. Hey, but if you're into that, maybe check out the other Cole yeah, Connor. No, yeah, no judgment <laughs> here at the much Love podcast. Yeah. And uh, and also while we're on the subject, check out Rick Rubin's podcast. I started listening to the one with Jack Johnson. Two of my favorite people just Amazing. kind of colliding. What's the
1: name of it? Because I don't even know. It's
0: something with a T. It's like Tetra Bibbidi Boppidi Puddin' Poppity. Okay. But it's got an orange cover. Okay. And if you look up Rick Rubin on Spotify or YouTube, you'll find his podcast. Um, Awesome. This was wonderful. Dude, thanks. Much love, Cole. Yeah. And much love to everybody at home. Much love.